Would you pray with me, please? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. story is told of a palace servant who longed more than anything to be a knight. He yearned to represent his king and vowed within himself that if he ever had a chance to be a knight, he would serve his king as the noblest knight who had ever lived. His dream came true, and that great day came. At his knighthood ceremony, the former servant, now a knight, made a firm oath within himself. He vowed that from that day forward, he would not bow his knees or lift his arms in homage to anyone but his sovereign. As a knight, he was assigned to guard a remote city on the edge of the kingdom. On the day he took up his duties, standing at attention in full armor at the city gate, an elderly peasant woman passed by on her way to the market. In a rickety cart, she carried some vegetables she had grown and hoped to sell. As she passed the night, her cart hit a little bump on the road and overturned. Potatoes and onions and carrots and peas spilled everywhere. The woman scurried to get them all back in her cart, but to no avail. She looked toward the knight in hopes that he would help her, but already he had forgotten what it was to be a servant. The knight stood there unmoved, holding his pose. He would not bend to help her. He just stood at attention, keeping his vow to never again bow his knees or lift his arms in homage to anyone but his sovereign. Years passed, and one day an elderly man hobbled by on his old crutch. Directly in front of the knight, the man's crutch finally gave out and broke in two. Sir Knight, the man begged, please reach down and help me to get up again. The knight, unmoved by the old man's predicament, made no response. He held his pose proudly and remembered he had vowed that he would never again stoop or lift a hand to help anyone but his sovereign. Decades passed and the knight grew older. One day his granddaughter came by and said, Papa, pick me up and take me to the fair. Yet even for his own granddaughter, the knight would not stoop, for within himself he had made that vow to bow only to his king. Finally, a day arrived when the king came for an inspection. This was the day for which the knight had longed since the day of his knighthood. As the king approached to inspect him, the knight stood proudly and stiffly at attention. As he did, the king noticed a tear rolling down the proud knight's cheek. You are one of my noblest knights, said the king. Why are you crying? Your Majesty, the knight replied, I took a vow I would bow and lift my arms in homage only to you. 
But now that you are here, I am an old man, and I am unable to keep my vow anymore. The years of standing here stiffly at attention, waiting for you to come, have taken their toll. The joints of my armor are rusted, and I can no longer lift my arms or bend my knees. The wise king replied, Perhaps if you had knelt to help all those people, you allowed to pass by and lifted your arms to reach out to all the people who asked for your help. You might have been able to keep your vow and pay me homage today. It's a powerful and poignant story, one that gets at the heart of the lesson Jesus is trying to teach the disciples in today's gospel. We have seen the disciples struggle with the pressing truth of Jesus' impending peril at the hands of the religious and political leaders. And here again, Mark reveals to us a group of followers who simply don't understand what Jesus is trying to teach them. They mean well, of course, but as we might say in the South, bless their sweet little hearts, they just don't get it. Jesus has told them just a few verses earlier that he will face arrest and death for what he's done and what he's taught. But they've not known how to respond, and so they've just ignored it and moved on. Even when Jesus led them up a mountain and was transfigured before their very eyes with Moses and Elijah on either side, they still haven't understood. The voice of God has even thundered from the clouds, This is my beloved, listen. Yet they still remain shrouded in ignorance and confusion. So Jesus sets them down again and tries to make it unmistakably clear. This road leads to the cross. The truly human one will be betrayed into the hands of human leaders, and they will kill him. But that won't be the end of the story, because three days later, there will be resurrection. Mark's description of the disciples' reaction to this leads us to think that there might have been crickets chirping somewhere in the distance. They still have no clue what Jesus is talking about in these verses. And who among us could blame them? They've seen the crowds seeking Jesus continue to swell with both Jews and Gentiles. Those from all different backgrounds have become enamored with Jesus. Those from different social positions and economic means and gender identities and ages and abilities and convictions have found in Jesus something to admire. But that's part of the problem. They admire Jesus more than they want to follow him. The miracles he's done, the courage he's shown, those have been impressive enough to grab their attention, but that's really about as far as their interests have gone. And the disciples, they have struggled with this too. They're just as fascinated with Jesus and what he's doing and while they suspect there's more there than 
just a mere illusion, they really don't have a clue what it might be. And so that's why they end up in this argument on the road. Who is the greatest among them? It's like children competing to be better than each other. They want part of the spotlight to bask in the fame and the admiration that Jesus has received from the crowds. Jesus knows that, of course, and he's frustrated by it. He's trying to be clear with them that this attention and influence come at a cost, but they don't want to hear it. No matter how much he talks about the cross, they're unable to move past the cheers and the adulations of the crowds. In hopes of trying to bring some clarity to the situation and to liberate the disciples from this addiction to fame with all its toxicity, Jesus sits the disciples down and has a heart-to-heart conversation with them. If you really want to become great, then you need to become the least important person of all, the servant of all. It's a strange statement, but one that is wholeheartedly in keeping with the message that Jesus has been preaching from the very start. The beloved community of God's reign turns every aspect of society on its ear. Fame and fortune are meaningless in God's kingdom. The people who are most respected and admired are those so often regarded as last and least and lost by the world. To illustrate the point, Jesus ushers a a child from the margins of the room into the center of the disciples, and Jesus embraces the child, a tender act of love and respect, something seldom afforded to children in that time and place. And Jesus says to the disciples, I come to you as a vulnerable child, and in me comes the one who sent me. Jesus reminds the disciples that the God of the universe is not found in the adulation of others or the self-serving demands of anyone, but rather in the utter vulnerability of those often forgotten or ignored by the world. It's a powerful statement, but it's one that is often lost in the sentimentality that we attach to these verses. Yes, Jesus welcomes a child and reminds us to do so as well, but Jesus is making a larger point. Those who seek God must be willing to welcome and embrace the most vulnerable among us, for God is always found in the margins of life, especially among those cast aside or rejected as children, women, those with different or disabilities so often were in Jesus' time and place. These words remind us of the truth so eloquently stated by James in the epistle to early Christians. Humility and concern for others must always be at the very heart of our identity as followers of Jesus. There is no place for hubris or arrogance or obsession with self, the one who gave up everything for the sake of the world 
asks us to give up everything as well and put the needs of others ahead of our own desires. The prophet Jeremiah reminds us that we can trust God to be faithful to us in all of our struggles, in any sacrifices that we make. For God honors those who are willing to offer themselves in service to others. At the risk of sounding like a broken record over the last few weeks, as we've read through James, I have to say that there is so much here that seems relevant to our current struggles in our society. More than a year and a half into this pandemic, as hospitals teeter on the brink of collapse and our exhausted healthcare professionals struggle to muster the strength to face the never-ending tide of patients desperate for help, so many who claim to follow Jesus continue to scream about their rights to freedom and self-determination. They argue that such things are Christian virtues, and any attempt to question them is evil. That stands in such marked contrast to the message that we hear from James and the message that we hear from Jesus in the Gospels. Theologian Gary Pulseo Verdend has written, Loving freedom and making it the highest virtue deforms and obscures the image of God in us. Loving freedom as the highest virtue, especially freedom that is not yoked to neighbor love or true self-love, creates all manner of pain in human life on this planet. Jesus asks us to put others ahead of ourselves, to be willing to sacrifice on their behalf, and James reminds us that the heart of the Christian faith is placing the needs of the community as a whole foremost in our thoughts and our actions. There's no doubt that that can seem scary, but we can draw strength from the ancient words of Jeremiah who encourages us to trust God, God who is faithful in every circumstance of life and the promises of Jesus who reminds us that no matter what struggles we face, no matter what challenges we endure, there is resurrection. Amen.